here we are this morning gathered in what is certainly the, the oldest and the largest and the most striking building in Fernby. I think that's a reasonable claim to make about St. Luke's Church, isn't it? Uh, it's easy to take that for granted if you come here week by week, or maybe you've been coming here for years, but just the sheer scale of this place, just look around for a moment. It is a remarkable building, isn't it? You know, the stonework, the windows, that just the thought that you know, much of it was put together using medieval technology hundreds of years ago. Now, when people come into this building for the first time, they quite often remark on what an amazing place it is, uh, which, again, is easy for us to take for granted if we see it every week, isn't it? I wonder what they would think if I said to them, you know, it'll all fall down soon. It'll just be a pile of rubble. I suspect most people would not be particularly impressed by that. But forget St. Luke's, of course, because, you know, in the 21st century, this is just one of many quite impressive medieval buildings, even in Leicestershire, isn't it? But Jesus is speaking about the temple in Jerusalem. It's literally a few days before he's going to be arrested and killed. If you're here for the first time this morning, we've been following through this last week of Jesus' life in Luke's Gospel. And what he says about the temple is about not only one of the most remarkable buildings, well, certainly the most remarkable building in Jerusalem, but one of the most significant buildings in the ancient world. Look at verses 5 and 6. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned, uh, not with stained glass windows, but with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus says, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And then Jesus goes on, doesn't he, for the next 30-odd verses to give these words of, well, of warning and of judgment, doesn't it? It's not the easiest of passages in the Gospels to read. It's not a comfortable passage, but it's one with an urgent message from Jesus. And I want to say the headline for us as we start, I think, is this. That things in the world, like big, impressive buildings, that look secure and permanent, may actually turn out to be shaky and temporary. Things which look so secure and permanent may turn out to be shaky and temporary. And so we need to ask some big questions about what it is that we're depending on. Where are we seeking our own security and sense of permanence? On what foundations will we build our lives? And to pick up on a parable that Jesus had told earlier on in Luke, are we building our lives on firm foundations of rock or on foundations of sinking sand? A little bit of background, first of all, uh, because we need to think about prophecy and about history if we're going to understand a chapter like Luke chapter 21. Um, the Old Testament, of course, is full of prophecies, isn't it? And you will know some of them. Prophecies of things like God's people being sent into exile and prophecies of them coming back from exile again, uh, back into their land and into their city. It probably felt to many people at the time of Jesus like a lot of those prophecies they knew well had well, kind of been fulfilled, but maybe not quite as much as they'd hoped they would do. I mean, for example, the temple again. Well, yes, the temple had been rebuilt. But no, it wasn't quite the same as it had been in Solomon's time. Uh, and yes, some of God's people had returned to the holy city. But still, it was being ruled by the Romans, by this bunch of foreigners, wasn't it? A sense of God has been at work, but 
is there something more? And that's quite often how it works with prophecies in the Bible. It's quite a helpful thing to keep in mind when we're seeking to understand passages which look to events which are going to happen in the future. Uh, Very often there is something quite particular and historical in mind. Uh, And we do need to understand that if we're going to make sense. Sometimes it's what causes us confusion with Bible passages because we don't kind of place them in their context. But often, beyond that kind of immediate what's going to happen in history sense, is a pointing to something beyond. In the Old Testament, often it's pointing to the coming of Christ. But some of them are pointing even from then beyond that to Christ's return, things which are still in the future, even for us now in 2023. And here in Luke chapter 21, that is very much the case. Um, The historical bit, if you like, as Jesus speaks to his disciples, is something which is going to happen within a few decades of his death and his resurrection. Maybe maybe you're a classicist and you know your ancient history. Um, If so, you'll know about the siege of Jerusalem in 63 AD under the Roman general Pompey. Anybody? Maybe. Maybe one or two. Maybe not. Uh, And then in the year AD 70, exactly what Jesus said came to pass. And the temple was destroyed, torn down by the Roman armies. And so, in many ways, those are the specifics of what Jesus is talking about here. And yet, at the same time, the imminent destruction of this solid, impressive, uh, most glorious of structures that so many people assumed would kind of stand there forever is also a pointer to the ultimate judgment and salvation that Jesus was wanting to point them to and to point us to as well. Listen, we can see these things right through this passage. We just don't have time to look at all of them this morning. But just scan through a few of these with me, will you? If you look at verse 6, right at the start, Jesus says, every one of these stones will be thrown down. Exactly what happened just a few years later on. If you go to Jerusalem today, you can't see the temple. It's never been rebuilt. Um, If you look in verses 9 and 10, those descriptions of wars and uprisings, of nation against nation, that great sense of instability and upheaval in the world could have been a description of much of what took place in the decades after Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, the things that people assumed would be stable forever, you know, the Roman Empire and the, the peaceful rule of the Caesars, that turned out not to be the case, and even that empire itself would fall in a few years' time. And then if you read through the warnings that Jesus gives in verses 12 to 17, he, he says things that are going to happen to his disciples who are there with him. It could almost be like a contents page for the book of Acts, that bit, which is Luke's second book. If you read those verses, it's the kind of things which happen to people like Peter and Paul and their colleagues. Verse 12, they will put you in prison and you will be brought before kings and governors on account of my name. You will bear testimony to me, verse 13. That's what they ended up doing. You'll be betrayed by friends and family, verse 16. Some of you will even be put to death. Precisely what happened to some of those disciples who were there with him in the next few years. And then perhaps most clearly of all, in verses 20 to 24, we get quite a specific description of what is about to happen. Jerusalem surrounded by armies because its desolation is near. And Jesus says, verse 21, let those who are are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the city get out. And let those who are in the country not enter the city. He's saying, look, when this happens, you don't want to be anywhere near Jerusalem. This is a time of punishment 
in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful, he says, it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. This is no place for the vulnerable and those who are not strong. There will be great distress in the land. Jerusalem will be trampled and so on. And again, if you know your history, very sadly, that's pretty much exactly what happened. And in fact, even when we get to the more kind of apocalyptic descriptions of it in the next couple of verses, you know, verses 25 and 26, when Jesus speaks of signs in the sun, moon, and stars, of the earth in anguish. Uh, in, in Mark's gospel, in his account of what Jesus says here, uh, Jesus speaks of the stars falling from the sky. Well, that's what it must have felt like to be living through those years. And we often say similar kinds of things, don't we? You know, when we think of uh, you know, the, uh, New York on 9-11, or the D-Day landings, or the fall of the Berlin Wall or something, and we speak of them being earth-shattering events. And you don't, we don't literally mean that the globe has been broken into pieces, do we? But we mean that the world will never be the same again. In the midst of all of these things, Jesus says, when the world seems out of control, whatever you do, don't believe that they're out of God's control. Don't be shaken, because he is not shaken. And perhaps most of all, we see this in verse 27, where Jesus adds, At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And if you know your prophetic passages in the Bible, you might know that that is a direct quotation from Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's great vision of the Son of Man entering the throne room of heaven. The Son of Man is a title Jesus often uses for himself in the Gospels. And this is a prophecy that in the midst of all the chaos in the world, Jesus will shortly be ascending to rule at the right hand of his Father, the Ancient of Days. And his message is, don't panic. Don't be overwhelmed when you look around and see the chaos, however earth-shattering it may seem. These things are happening, but there are greater things happening in heaven. Uh, They may be invisible to your eyes, but they're no less real. In fact, they are more real. And it's exactly what Daniel spoke about all those years ago. Uh, And if you trust in me, you're on permanent, secure foundations forever. And so in verse 32, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. And it's only a few weeks to his death and resurrection and then his ascension to heaven. It's only a few years until those great buildings in Jerusalem will be gone. Uh, as he says, within one generation. But when that happens, Jesus will be on the throne. Verse 33, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. So all of that, all of that detail that Jesus gives us, uh, to say to us, don't be taken in by the stuff in the world which looks impressive and permanent and secure. Uh, It may look that way, but it may not be that way. Um, But at the same time, neither should we panic when everything seems to fall apart. Because the Lord does have all things in hand, even when we can't see for sure what he's doing. Uh, His words will never pass away, either in history or at the end of history. So what does this mean for us? Okay, well, Jesus unpacks this, uh, first of all, in a kind of series of warnings in those verses, which are warnings for his disciples about what would happen in the next few years, but they stand as warnings for believers, for his people today. 
Um, first of all, in verses 8 and 9, the warning not to be deceived by those who make claims which contradict Jesus. And it feels to me like what an appropriate passage to have reached on this weekend when the Church of England's General Synod is meeting for some of its discussions. Some of you will know there are great controversies in the Church of England at the moment. Uh, and on the surface, they're about things like blessings of, of relationships and sex and marriage. But actually, they're about Jesus' words, which will not pass away, and whether or not we will listen to them or whether we will make different claims. I know that's a little bit pointed in some ways. But isn't it striking that the Synod is meeting in York? Forget St. Luke's Church. Uh, I was in York, actually, about 10 days ago. Now, York Minster, that really is an impressive building. And there may be impressive buildings and impressive services with people in grand robes. But the test, as always, is not to be deceived by what is impressive. The test is, are we being faithful to the words of Jesus? Uh, easy to point the finger at others. That is a question for all of us, too. Um, secondly, there are warnings from Jesus not to panic when the world seems uncertain. Uh, verses 9 to 11, about wars and uprisings. Uh, he says, do not be frightened when there is nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines, diseases, fearful events and great signs from heaven. Now, those verses, they're just an accurate description of what the world is like, aren't they? Whether it's the first century or the 21st century. You know, fighting in Ukraine, War in Sudan, rioting in Paris, floods in Italy, COVID, malaria, recession in Britain, earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, environmental concerns. We could carry on listing them, couldn't we? How do we respond to the stuff as Christians in the world which can often make us fearful? Jesus says, look, this is what it will be like. You don't need to be frightened. Uh, but at the same time, don't be naive. In a world which has rejected God, these things will happen. They must happen, he says, verse 9. But the end will not come right away. And there is reassurance in that. Jesus is saying, you know, though the end will not come right away, there will be an end to it all. There is a promise of setting things right, just tucked away even in those words. So don't be overconfident in what seems secure, whether it's a, an impressive temple or church, you know, or whether it's a, a paid-off mortgage and a solid pension. Those things are not as secure as you think. They will not last forever. But at the same time, don't panic at the things in the world which just seem so uncertain and dangerous. They are not out of Jesus' control. Put your security in him. And then the third warning in verses 12 to 17 is don't give up when you are persecuted. And when we read of all those things which happened to Peter and Paul and all the other apostles in the book of Acts, you know, the persecutions, the arrests, the testimonies they gave inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, before governors and kings, uh, even when they were martyred, some of them, giving their lives out of faithfulness to Jesus. Worth remembering that that too is not just about the first generation of disciples, is it? Um, but it's been the experience of many faithful believers through the last 2,000 years, including many who gave their lives in English history and whose lives and witness are part of the story of why we are able to be here together as Jesus' people. And of course, we need to remember that it also remains the experience of many of our sisters and brothers around the world today. And 
This kind of passage may not be our favorite passage, but I wonder if part of that is because we're in the West and it's relatively comfortable. And I wonder how this feels to a Christian you know, reading it who, who can't admit publicly that that is what they are, whether they're in China uh, or in Eritrea or wherever that might be. The security that we do experience in this country is in many ways quite a historical anomaly, isn't it? That we shouldn't just assume it will last or start to build our trust on the fact that things have been relatively good for quite a long time. Now, the good news at the heart of this passage is that in the midst of whatever uncertainty may or may not come, as Jesus says in those words, heaven and earth will pass away. These things will not last forever, but my words will never pass away. And as Peter said to Jesus elsewhere in the Gospels, you have the words of eternal life. So to whom else can we turn? So, don't be deceived. Don't panic or fear. Don't give up. Because the call not to trust what is impermanent uh, is, uh, is the flip side of Jesus calling us to trust in him because he gives us a secure hope. He is seated at the right hand of God reigning. He will return to bring judgment on everything in the world and to rescue his people. And these things are unshakable. So finally, I don't know if you noticed, there's a kind of refrain which runs through this chapter. The words aren't exactly the same, so perhaps it's not that easy to notice. But um, this is what I want to leave you with. The thing that Jesus keeps saying to his disciples here is kind of hold on, hold tight, stand firm. See it first of all in verse 19. Stand firm and you will win life. You know, we talk about winning at life, don't we, when we've got the lawn mowed and the laundry done. But Jesus says you will win life, and he means eternal life. Uh, There may be no rewards in this life sometimes for being faithful to Jesus and his words. Sometimes you might even be unpopular or get criticized if that is what you do. Some of our sisters and brothers in the world face worse than that. But there are much better rewards than the ones this life can offer. Uh, Let's be those who live in the light of Jesus' return. He's coming. Uh, We see it again in verse 28. This time Jesus says, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. In other words, lift up your heads to Jesus. Look at him. Don't look at human things, which are impressive, whether it's physical buildings or organizations and countries. Jesus is the rock. Huge encouragement to these disciples who are about to face the shock of their lives. And it's an encouragement to us. You'll see the signs, he says, in 29 and 30, and you will know that the kingdom of God is near. Stand firm, stand up, lift up your heads towards Jesus. Look at him. And then lastly, in verses 34 and 36, pretty much at the end of our passage, he says, be careful. Don't be distracted by the temptations of the world or by its anxieties. Um, I, I wonder which is the bigger danger of kind of the two Jesus mentions there for you. Um, is it the possibilities of carousing and drunkenness? I guess kind of being drawn in by the pleasures that this world can offer? Or is it the anxiety, the worrying about security and what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year? For some of us, it may be more one than the other. There is a day coming, Jesus says, And like that day when the temple is destroyed, it will close like a trap. 
But if you're standing on the rock that is Jesus, you will be secure. So verse 36, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And listen, Jesus' promise to you today is that all who put their faith in him will be able to stand when he comes. So we need not fear. Um, So if that is not you this morning, now is the time to say yes to him. There is no better time to do that. He's giving these warnings because he doesn't want you to miss out on life. And if that is you, if you are standing on the rock that is Jesus Christ, then take heart, stand firm. Your redemption is drawing near. That's what we're about to celebrate in bread and wine. And you will win life. Amen.